Your child will be discipled, but by whom is the question? We wrestle with this question, and we wrestle with how to raise sons of courage and character in this podcast episode. My name is Chad Zook, and this is episode 95 of the Men of Iron podcast. In this podcast episode, I talk to John Tyson. John Tyson has written a book called The Intentional Father. We talk at length about what that means and how you too can become an intentional father, but it doesn't mean perfect father. It just means intentional. Play this one through. You are going to be encouraged after you listen. We at Men of Iron are changing a culture one man at a time. This is our passion and our calling and our mission. If you're a listener to this podcast, we want you to feel the same way. We want you to feel empowered and encouraged to be good at being a man. In this podcast, we lean into hard-hitting topics and have impactful conversations to help men improve in their faith, family, finances, fitness, and friendships. Our vision for Christianity does not whitewash masculinity. We support a robust and manly Christianity, one that helps men become masculine men. Stay tuned in this podcast episode because John's message, like I'd said, is very encouraging and it's very helpful. We talk about how to raise sons of courage and character. If you have a son, it doesn't matter where you are in the spectrum of of raising that son, or if you maybe hope to one day raise a son, this podcast episode is for you. Enjoy it, gentlemen. Today on the Men of Iron podcast, we have the one and only John Tyson. John Tyson is an author, pastor, father, he mentor of men and butcher, as what we'll probably hear in this conversation. He's done a lot of things. John, welcome to the show. It is good to be with you, mate. Definitely not the one and only John Tyson. There's a John Tyson who was the CEO of Tyson Chicken, as it turns out. And he's the real John Tyson. He would have come in on a private jet. <laughs> That's true. That is so true. I, I am a John Tyson, one of the John Tysons. Yes. All right. All right. I'll give you that. You're the only one I'm really interested in right now. All right. How about that? Okay. Well, then here we are. I'm not, I'm not buying any chickens. So, <laughs> so, hey, you, you wrote a fantastic book. And I knew this book was coming out because you and I had a conversation, I think, during COVID or something. Uh, it was based around yep. the primal path, this this journey into manhood that you took your son, Nate. And so we we had a great dialogue about that. And you told me, you said, hey, I'm working on a book and it's going to be released. Mm-hmm. And the book is called The Intentional Father. Men out there, you need to get this book. And it is a book it, that it, what John says in the subtitle, it's a practical guide to raising sons of courage and character. And man, this is such a needed thing today. But before I, I, you know, really jump into this, John. I just want to just let you know that I have to air a grievance against you. I, I feel like I need to have a, a cleansing of my heart right now. Yes. Uh, I'm really kind yes. of upset that you didn't write this whenever my son was really young. Uh, I'm a little bit late in the game reading this, but now, you know, my son's 25 and I'm thinking if I only had this tool back then. So um, I feel better now. Uh, you, So I okay. forgive you. So. You know, okay, thank you. I mean, gosh, I wish I wrote it 25 years ago. I mean, I wouldn't have, I wasn't a father back then, so I wouldn't have known how to, but yeah, man, I think there is definitely um, a huge need. And I, I, this, I'm trying to normalize a pathway yeah. 
of male formation in the Christian church, you know, and I'm honestly surprised that it really wasn't there in a holistic way 25 years ago. Mm -hmm. It's been 2000 years since Jesus rose from the dead. Mm. We have 2000 years plus of new Testament scripture, plus all the old Testament lessons. And it is surprising to me that this just hasn't existed in every place and every time it's, it's, it's particularly inside the church. So better late than never, maybe. I mean, I'm not, and again, I'll say it's not that other people haven't done work in this space or thought of this stuff, but the normalization, the mainstreaming, the the typical church having a culture and vision of this, like that, it's sad that I had to write the book. To be honest with you, mm. yeah, yeah, and I I really see what you're what you're saying there. I, I do, I love that word, the normalization, and I think that this has an opportunity. You know, uh, I think it has an, a great opportunity to to just kind of spread like wildfire amongst men and boys and within church culture and particularly probably in Western culture, as far as uh, those relationships between dads and sons. So I want to kind of go back in your story a little bit. Um, I mean, I could just hear you talking about it and you, you feel the burden that this didn't exist before, but what was it like for you growing up? Obviously you grew up in Australia what was it like growing up for you? Uh, did you have these types of things modeled to you or are they just little bits and pieces that you had to pick up along the way? Share, share as much of that story as, as you feel pertinent. Yeah. I mean, I, when I think through this, I don't think I really had any friends whose parents would fall into the category of what I call intentional fathers in this book. Mm. Um, there was definitely um, dads who were around and involved. There was definitely dads who tried to teach different kinds of lessons to their sons. And I remember, you know, I have one uh, friend of mine, I remember his name uh, was Ben Limo, but that was his uh, nickname. Um, you know, he was from a Russian, uh, his family was Russian and they definitely had like a multi-generational vision of, of like family business i remember that striking me like wow he's he's learning about how life works he's learning about business he's learning about money he's learning about responsibility in a way that most other people i looked around weren't i think a lot of my formation came from working in the butcher shop which I, where i started working when i was 14 that was like surrogate fatherhood in some sense you're very very formative but yeah, no, I did. I just grew up in an environment where the typical Aussie dad was pretty disengaged. Mm. Um, most of them had pretty good intentions, but you know, they just like pretty disengaged. I also grew up at a time which would seem impossible now, where there was no cell phones and your parents let you basically go and do whatever you want. And, you know, so it was just such a different world. There was a lot more sort of autonomy, a lot, a lot more uh, empowerment, a lot less parental fear. And um, so I don't think parents, I think they'll kind of like get out into the world and figure it out and try and be good. And that was for the most part, basically it. So I didn't have a initiation, you know, rite of passage on just formation or discipleship. And I honestly don't know anybody who did. This wasn't how it was done. Yeah. And hearing your backstory, it actually sounds like my upbringing. I grew up in a small town in the Midwest and it was very similar. You know, the, dads were maybe around but not intentional and mm -hmm. so in some sort of involvement but they it's almost like they didn't know what to do so they just kind of like did what was presented to them maybe just as just a fraction better than what they had so that they they just yes, upped yes. it a little bit but it was still incomplete and the whole thing without cell phones i mean i'm 
I'm 47. So I, I totally understand that life without cell phones. And, you know, we were, we were the type of kids you just go out and play. It's like, come back in, like, you know, you go out and play and then your parents really don't know where you are. And as long as, is, you know, when the sun goes down or, or somebody yells from the front porch for you to come home, as long as you can hear them, it, I mean, you could be two blocks away, but if you can hear them, you come on home, you're not in trouble. You know, uh, obviously things are yes, totally yeah. different now, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I agree. I, I think, you know, when I reflect back on it, I think there was, you know, most dads were like trying to do their best. I a, a, deal with their own brokenness, B deal with the complexities of their schedules and their life. Mm. And I, I think I, what I saw a lot of dads do was like, they didn't know how to develop an emotional bond with their sons, but they were trying to give them feedback, which was probably perceived as criticism mm. about how not to screw up their lives. So, you know, like when you got around your dad, a lot of it sort of felt like lectures, right. you know, or like, you know, an attempt to impart wisdom, but because it didn't have that sort of relational emotional connection to it it just felt like it just felt like lectures parents nagging you know so i certainly you know i think my my parents particularly my father did a very noble effort based on what they came through but there wasn't just that sense of i want to be around my family i really perceive them as a source of timeless wisdom wow i must have a legacy where i take things from their life and import them into my life you know honestly a lot of that stuff i got from the butcher shop and so like most of the lessons about money, work ethic, life I got from dropping out of high school at 16 and working in a very, very hard um, physical labor, lower blue collar environment. That, that like shaped my manhood. Uh, that developed the best components of manliness in me uh, more than anything I consciously received from church or family or anywhere else, you know? And, and again, a lot of folks never get that experience. They don't I get a job at 14. They don't drop out and do four years of hard manual labor that included skill acquisition. Mm-hmm. I did an actual apprenticeship, which means that I learned, you know, knowledge and practices where I grew over time and saw myself making conscious progress, which gave me tremendous confidence in every area of my life. I felt like I'm a man in the world who can do a thing. Um, a lot of folks don't even get that. So, you know, they're just dealing with hopefully the coach teach you a few lessons through sports. Hopefully you have one inspirational teacher who pulls you aside and says, I believe in you. You're either smart, funny or whatever. And that gives you a little bit of fuel. You don't get your heart too badly broken. And then you get on with life and you go into college and have another set of teenage years. So, yeah, I mean, the, the pipeline's broken. That's, that's fundamentally the point I want to make, even where, if parents did their best. Sadly, it probably wasn't enough. And I'm really passionate about trying to, to work on that issue as a whole. Well, in, in the book, you talk about your son, Nate, and just the, the journey that you took. And you just mentioned this relational component. And I think that this is, I think maybe this is the most important part of, of all the principles that you talk about in the book. Because in the book, you can have all these principles and all these takeaways and all these, these helps. And you have a lot of great statistics uh, from Barna, just, you could have all of those mm-hmm. things, but yet if you don't have this relational connection with your son, it's all going to be void. It's all just going to be some sort of theoretical, yeah. although it could be practical, mm-hmm. but not lived out. And it's just going to settle for your, I mean, I think what, what you said was just settle for a bunch of lectures because it's like, I just want to give you this knowledge and it makes the dad feel like, Oh, I did something because I gave this knowledge. But yet what the dad doesn't realize is there's not that, that conduit 
of relationship for the for that son to appreciate that wisdom as much. So, so the question yeah, well, is this: I was going to say, oh, yeah. So the question is this: how can how can a dad build that that relational bridge with his son so he can do these things? Well, I mean, you, you've actually touched on the most important part of the book, and it's the question I get asked the most, honestly, which is like, how did you get your son to want to do this? Mm-hmm. Like, you, yeah, it is. You can have the best plan in the world, but how did you get your son to be willing to get up at 5.30 in the morning and to, you know, do do these ex- experiments and th- these experiences? Mm-hmm. And and I would say, well, it's like, yeah, I just put like, probably 13 years of very intentional relational bonding in before we even got to this. So we'd be excited to be a part of it. Now I want to be clear. Mm. Nate is a typical teenager, Xbox or, you know, hormones, all of that. So it (laughs) wasn't like every morning it was like, wow, I'm just so honored to learn from my wise father who was (laughs) sacrificially investing time to develop me as a man. That wasn't like, Uh you know, but I, I tell you, Towards the end of it, he was like setting his own alarm saying, I want as much wisdom as I can get from my dad before I leave home. Like it, we got to that point. Mm-hmm. Certainly didn't start like that. So yeah, I think the, the most important thing I would do is like, I would try and enter into my son's world. I would try and experience things emotionally to the degree with which he was experiencing them. Mm-hmm. And so one of the one of the exercises, I don't know if I talked about this in the book, but this I know that there's an exercise that is similar to this, but it's, it's slightly adjacent. One of the things I did is I made a commitment that every time I was traveling, either flying or driving or walking, I tried to develop an emotional map of my life. And and here's what I mean by that. Not one of the biggest lessons I learned. That is definitely one of the exercises in the book, but just like what shaped my heart? What got me? And then how did people respond to it? You know? And uh, so I remember very, I mean, this is, you know, like may sound kind of weird, but I remember I had this pet bird, maybe I was in the fifth grade and it was like an Australian cockatiel. And I trained this bird. I mean, it would eat out of my hand. Mm. I, I, I would walk in the room, it would fly to me. It would talk like I'd really developed this pet and I love this pet. I remember one day the pet, my, my mother accidentally let the bird out and the bird got away. Oh, wow. And it was on the power lines out the front of our house. And here's this wild bird. And I remember just like me being a young kid, like crying, screaming to this bird. The bird's name was Frankie. Like, Frankie, come back. And then watching the bird fly off. And at the time, it was like such a deep wound for me. You know, like I really had trained this pet, just put endless hours in. And then I remember the response being like, oh, I'm really sorry. You know, that's really sad. Maybe we'll have to get another one. And honestly, that wasn't quote really sad and replaceable. That was like an incalculable emotional loss for me. Mm-hmm. And I, I wish my dad had just come and sat in the room and just, you know, just said, I'm so sorry. I can't even imagine how much, you know, sort of like, like the Jewish community, like sitting Shiva, just sort of like just sat with me for a bit and was like, just, you know, got angry and frustrated mm-hmm. and it didn't happen. And so it's like one of those little one of those little emotional cues that you're taught as a kid, which is people don't understand you, mm-hmm. which is one of the things that causes you to close off your heart. So, well, I like you know. So, I, if you if I was to write out a list of like definitive events that shaped me, having the bird fly off is not one of them. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's not one of them. Moving states the next year is one of them. Mm-hmm. 
However, when I did an emotional map, I was like, if my dad had entered in, I cannot imagine how much closer I would have felt with him. So I think doing that emotional map, like one of these events where I really wanted someone to know me or to understand me or what it felt like to be bullied or to be picked on. And I would try and identify those in my son, you know, like when I, when I would see him, for example, repeat something at school, like he'd bring up a person multiple times. I would say, Hey, listen, man, you've mentioned that same person four or five times in this conversation. Are they, you know, like, do you have some conflict with them right now? Or is that someone that like, you know, you really value their opinion or whatever. Tell me about that. Like what's happening at school around that? Like I would just, it's like in the book, I wrote a book called The Burden is Light. And one of the chapters that I have in there is on like the gift of paying attention. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's like the gift of presence. And I talk about um, being a, a liar or a lover. Liar is a phrase that Neil Postman used where he talks about a low information to action ratio. And here's my interpretation of it. We know everything about that, which we can do nothing about. And we know nothing about that, which we can do everything about. What I mean is like, you probably know about Omricon, you know about Wuhan, China, you know about the national economy, you know about President Biden, you know what Trump's thinking about doing in 2024, Mm. you know about weather storms in California, but you do not know the name of the girl your son likes. Wow. That is, you you know, that is a huge, huge revelation. And just for me personally, I know it is for the guys too, because we kind of live, most of us just kind of live in that, in the space of the things we have no control over. And it just, we obsess over it in our mind. We just, we churn about it. We churn about it. We talk about it at work. We, you know, we talk about it in public spaces, all of those things, whether it's China or, or Biden or politics or something that we have absolutely no control over. And yet the, the blind spots are the ones that are right there. That, that's a really profound yes. thing. Yes. So I was like, if you don't know what your favorite son's skins are in the game Fortnite, like if you want to know, like I remember a video game developer saying this, if you want to know who your son really is, listen to him playing video games when he doesn't know you're listening. Hmm. Listen, listen to the joy, hmm. listen to the engagement listen to the tone of his voice and see if any of that manifests itself in your relationship. And that is one of the truest tells as to like what your son's world is really like versus like whether or not you've entered into it. So I propose instead of like the, you know, the low information to action ratio being a lover. And this is what I said. It's like every week I would try and listen, listen carefully to what's being said and what's not being said, observe value and encourage. And that's what it means to love your kid. Listen, observe, value, and encourage. So it always like, again, I'm listening for phrases they'd repeat. I'm listening for stress in their voice. I'm listening for tension. I'm always trying to observe why they get stressed before work on a particular day. Is there somebody in their class that they're upset about or excited to see? And then how do I value what they value instead of getting them to value what I value? How do I help them develop their own things? And then, yeah, how do I be a source of encouragement? You know, so anyway, I, I don't know. Yeah, to me, that's how you win their heart so that mm. you create it. So, on a practical level, one of the things I did was like almost since each of my kids were born, I would try weekly, but it wasn't always weekly, but very, very regularly to give each of my kids one night a week. Mm-hmm. So, and, and I tried to basically say, this is your time to do whatever you want. I just want to enter into your world. So, you know, when my son was into robots, we we're going to the mall every week and doing robots. 
when he was into video games it was video games when he was into basketball it was like it was whatever he was into i entered into you know and try to care about his world and and same thing with my daughter. And I think that laid the emotional foundation in order to say, hey, let's now enter this formal process of discipleship and formation. You know, a friend of mine several years ago, just an older, wiser man, uh, just somebody who's just, you know, definitely second half of life, you know, yeah. uh, somebody who is just so eager to, to share wisdom to younger generation, to, to younger people like myself. When my son was, I think in middle school, maybe around ninth grade, uh, my son and I were having just a little bit of tension trying to connect with one another. I did a lot of the same things that, you know, is as far as the principles that you talked about are the same, some of the same things that I did to try and maintain that connection. I knew that, that it was my responsibility to main connection, maintain connection with my son. It wasn't my son's responsibility. Yes. It was mine yes. to take that initiative as as the dad. So I went to uh, this this friend of mine because my son and I, our relationship was, we were kind of struggling and we were spending time together, but yet I could sense just a distance, like our, we just weren't as connected as what we once were. So I asked him, you know, about this, the same topic. And he, he basically told me a story about when he was raising his son, his son's older than me. And he said, uh, you know, Marshall Jr. is the son's name. He said, when Marshall Jr. was, I think, around the same age. He was wrestling with the same question because he just realized that the world that he was raised in was different than the one that his son was being raised in. So, mm -hmm. so he knew that, that there was a difference there. So he went to his son and he asked his son, he says, what is it that you would like to do? You know, what is it that you would like to do? And he pitched this idea of like building this car, like a little go-kart, you know, car type mm -hmm. of thing. And this, this again is from decades ago. And so Marshall Sr., he said, great, let's do it. So they went through this whole journey, months and months and months. The way that he restored his relationship with his son was by doing something his son wanted to do. And because of that, they still have a great relationship today. Now, the, again, this is yeah, decades yeah. and decades later, but it's because he took yeah. the initiative to meet his son where he was instead of anticipating his son to join him just because he's the older, wiser man. And in yeah, some totally. of that, you know, the, I lived out princi the, those principles that you talked about, just the connection and, and a lot of that intentionality. As we pivot now, because I think that that is gold, and I love the, you know, love, listen, observe, value, and encourage. I think that is really, really practical for the guys out there as they, if they want to move into being an intentional father, I think that this is what they need. You divided your book up into four different areas, and we're not going to be able to touch on all of these. They need to buy the book to dig into it, to see the how practical it is, and all the little takeaways at the end of the chapter, chapters, excuse me. But you talk about preparation, initiation, formation, and recognition. So yes. what did you do to help prepare Nate for that journey? Anything you haven't already shared? But which, which particular part of the journey, or for the, for the entire thing? Yeah, yeah. Preparation, just kind of like the lead into the into him running into the water, you know, which was the the, the beginning yes. of the ceremony to start yes. the process. Yes, um, I think I was trying to create uh, anticipation in his heart. Okay, you know, so it's just something happens um, when you hit puberty. Reality changes for you. Hmm. You know, girls who were gross now become like the obsession of your mind. Mm -hmm. Um, 
friends who you sort of got along with can become best friends or enemies. Mm. Like your, your body is filled with hormones. You've got like, you're trying to figure out morality, what is right, what is wrong. You're pushing the boundaries. You're trying to like the early stages of self-actualization and differentiation from your parents. You know, there's all this mm -hmm. stuff going on. So I tried to help my son see by, you know, showing him the lies of other people and pointing things out or whatever. Hey, this is going to happen to you. And when it does, your world's going to go crazy and you're going to need some wisdom and some guide, you know, to sort of like figure out how to get through this thing. So I think I let him know of what was ahead. I spoke a lot about the why you cannot outsource the why, you know, you have to explain to him like, Hey, here's what it means to be a man. Here's what happens to unformed men. You do not want to be a child who's you know, a chronological adult, but an emotional child. I would always just try and point out like, look, that's a half formed man, or that's an undeveloped man, or that's a manager, you know, which mm -hmm. my son ended up calling them. Mm -hmm. I said, by default, if you do not enter this process, this will happen to you. They're not bad. That's just what society does to men who don't have mm -hmm. a conscious process like this. So I tried to sort of point it out. I try to create vision. I try to create some, some warnings. I tried to, you know, like really build the why up. And, um, and then I was, again, I was putting in practices and consistency that made it feel like this was the next logical evolution rather than like, what the heck, why are you expecting this of me now? You know, so I was like, sort of like, and I was on-ramping him in terms of scheduling. I was tightening the schedule together in terms of um, information. I was increasing the frequency and intensity of communication about what we were going to do uh, in terms of our times together. I would make them like, I'd start leaning into deeper questions, not just like fun stuff, which is primarily what childhood is about, like mm -hmm. just wonder and joy and fun. I started to talk about, you know, serious things. And I started to ask a lot more questions that he couldn't answer. Hmm. Trying to, you know, so I, I always remember this. They talked, I remember reading a book um, on how communists educate people versus how Catholics educate people. Hmm. And uh, it was a guy who used to lead the communist uh, party of England who got converted to Catholicism. And he said, basically, the communists do a way better job of, uh, discipling people than the Catholics did. He said, because here's what the communists would do. They would make you stand on the corner and, and try and sell the paper while people screamed at you and abused you and debated you. And you had no answers. You got beat up. You got, you know, like verbally assaulted. You got accused. And he said, so when they came back after a couple of days of doing that, and they say, do you want to learn how to answer these people and debate them? You were so desperate. Yes. Like the need, you wanted the answers to the questions. Hmm. He said, well, what Catholics would do is they just would dump your head full of content, whether you lived it out or hungry for it or not. And I think in some senses, like I tried to put my son in a few situations or, you know, create tensions that I didn't fix where he wanted what I offered. Hmm. So, you know, rather than, you know, so saying a few little things like, well, if you ever want to talk about that, let me know. Mm -hmm. Rather than like, well, here's what you need to do. Or like, if I was you, here's what I would just go like, hey, man, if you ever want to talk about that, I've got some thoughts on that. I'm trying to create a desire in him to want this process. So I think, that, yeah, those are probably the main things. I think uh, you said this in the book too. I, I've said something similar in my own life. So if I kind of borrowing from you or me or whatever, you can straighten it out as it, as you need to. But there was something also when you started talking about the vision of what you're trying to do and, 
I think it's it's pretty safe to say you were doing a lot of this on the fly, right? Like it, what, what you were doing, there was some intentionality with it, but you didn't have all of this kind of buttoned up when he was 13 and being like, hey, now we're just going to roll for the next five years. Like you were doing, you were learning a lot of this on on the fly. Is that correct? It's uh, like not quite correct. So I okay. had a blueprint of the six years laid out. Okay. So I, 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 I did a white paper that I basically wrote um, it with an outline and a vision and outline and gave to a group of dads. We had an official meeting at Nat Sherman Cigar Bar in New York City, went into the basement, laid this out and said, let's do this together. These were Nate's closest friends. And I was like, I want to build a tribe. I want a little cohort. Um, in terms of the actual content, so so I had the outline done, you know. So I had like initiation, uh, putting your son's story in context, mm-hmm. five shifts, archetypes, values, arc of life. All of that was actually all laid out. So I did a bunch of research and designed the big picture. But in terms of like, well, I wonder what I'm going to do today. Like that was all stuff I had to make up along the way. Okay. So, um, you know, the, nu- the number one thing that people ask me is, um, and it's, it's like I, I did a different thing for my daughter, which is a whole nother story. I'm turning that into a book right now. Um, but I, the number one thing people ask me is like, bro, can I just get the lessons you gave your son? Mm. And I used to say to people, no, you, by doing these yourself, you will fill in the gaps of your own formation and mm-hmm. become so much more. Like you will grow in your own confidence and competence. Like you can't even believe how much by doing this. Now I realize that's not quite fair. And here's what I mean by that. You know, it's like, it's part of my wiring in my gifts to be able to develop content. I'm a content guy. If you were to say like, why did God put you on planet earth? I would say, I'm here to tear down ideologies that have set themselves up against the knowledge of God. Mm. I'm a content arguing for the kingdom guy. So to assume that every other dad has those same instincts is quite unfair. So right now I'm actually doing like a, a little bit of a, um, a relaunch for Father's Day 2022 where I'm making discussion guides for dads and sons on each of the core topics awesome. because I feel like they may need like a starting point. Now it won't fix everything, but it's a lot better than like, holy crap, I don't know what to say. So I'm going to do those on um, what, what I'll just call like minimal manhood. I'll do, I'll do one on masturbation and porn. I'll do one on dating and sexuality. I'll do one on how to walk with God. I'll do one on um, understanding finance, one on vocation. So some of like those basic pieces, mm-hmm. sort of like month long discussion guides and conversations dads can have with their son. So yeah, I, I was making those up. But again, I'm a pastor. I've been a pastor for over 20 years, 25 years. My gosh, it's hard to believe. You know, so I'm drawing on like sermon prep and reading that a typical dad doesn't have. It's like someone who works in finance for 25 years who understands it saying, hey, just do a thing on finance for your kid. And it's like, oh, you know, so I want to be, I want to be a little bit more helpful. Uh, So I'm I'm definitely working on that. So yeah, there's further resources coming. Well, I really appreciate that too, because it, you know, just in reading it, and I've read, uh, you know, some of Roar's work and, you know, Ronald Rollheiser talking about age theory or stage age theory, however, whatever yeah. that term is, and just different things. And a lot of books of, for men, about men, you know, Wild at Heart and Eldridge's yeah. work, Stephen Mansfield's work, blah, 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 all these, all these books. And those, those are very practical. And yet, when I looked at your book, th- this is different than other books that I've read. 
or other studies mm-hmm. that I've done. This is totally different. And I think that, that you're right on that guys do need a little primer. You look at this. I think you did leave enough space. You didn't tell guys, quote unquote, what to do in this book. You just kind of gave them a gentle guide. But I think a little bit more of a primer would be good because not everybody has read yes. the books that you and I have read or been in those yeah. spaces and wrestled with these things. Yes. Most guys, yeah. you know, they're their on-ramp is way, 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 way beyond where ours is. So they need that, that little nudge to go in the right direction. Because if a guy's going to move into going from being an irresponsible father, ignorant father, inconsistent father, involved father, into an intentional father, you know, he has to deal with his own past brokenness. And now where his son is and where he wants his son to go, you know, the vision of that. And that's a, that's a big step for guys. Yes, I, I agree. So I would say, I think I've done a good job on the why. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, I'll say this. I think I've done a great job on the why, a good job on the what, mm. but not a great or good job on the how. Here's, like, here's, here's how to actually go, go and do it. Mm. So that's the, I think that's the piece. Uh, and I, I think maybe, you know, like my son's uh, 21 now. He's doing really well. He's a wonderful, godly young man. Um, I almost like want to move on to the next chapter of my life. You know what I mean? I've got other responsibilities. I'm pastoring a church in the middle of New York city post COVID, you know, I've got other writing projects and stuff I'm passionate about, but I just get a sense. The Holy spirit saying to me, you're not done in this space. Hmm. Like you, like you need to stay here. You need to keep working on that. So I'm trying to be obedient to that. Again, my ultimate goal is to be helpful. Mm-hmm. I want, I want like a dad to go, Oh man, I read that book. Okay, it gave me a vision I didn't have. I had a desire, but I didn't have like a plan or a vision. Wow, this book gave me the vision. And then to be able to go, oh dang, fantastic. He built a suite of tools to help me do it really practically. Mm-hmm. I definitely sense that's the next sort of thing I'm committed to working on. And again, some dads like have got this out there, but if I can just put like a like a, a yeah, a, like a bare minimum out there that they can innovate out of and take to the next level but they're not starting with a blank page so for example when i say hey you know do four studies do a study on the life of david do a study on jacob do a study on joseph most dads are like dude i don't have time to read 30 chapters draw out four key so i think i'm you know that's how i'm wired so hopefully that that'll take it to the next level and be even more helpful which is ultimately what my goal is oh i'm sure it will so we start with preparation. You talked about vision. We've already talked about how to build a, a just a, a strong relational bridge with your son to kind of begin the process. One of the things I think that you said in the book, and I alluded to this earlier, was you didn't want him just to, to know what the, the vision of being a man was like. You wanted him to have the vision of what it meant to be a good man or to be good at being a being man. Being good at being a man. Yes, yes, yes. And, and your, your son really grabbed that. That changed him. That, that helped him yes. to really engage because, again, what you talked about earlier, because you showed him negative examples, and then it sounds like he also was able to see those negative examples in the world, but also you cast a vision about the man that he could be when he's good at being a man. The, maybe the, the next step, I think, is the critical step in all of this, the next two, really, um, is, but the next one is initiation, that, that kind of beginning, and I know we, we're kind of bumping up against time here, so we're not going to be able to spend a ton of time on this, but I know that you brought in ceremony at the beginning and ending of, of this journey, yes. but which is very common in initiation processes throughout the world, you know, initiating men. 
But what would you like to talk about the value of initiation? What, what did that do? And then how did that change, Nate, through this process? Well, again, uh, uh, when you talk about puberty, like, you know, young men have all these like confusing, intoxicating, overwhelming energies that sort of take over them. Mm. You know, when, when, when you've got testosterone, like getting dumped into your body, and again, everything's changing and, you know, every part of your body is changing. You're watching yourself. It's almost like a metamorphosis, mm. you know, and it's like if someone's short and they hit a growth spurt, it's like, wow, this is uncontrollably I'm getting taller. You know, it's like, what, what, what is happening to me? You've got to help them understand that, that this is normal and this, this, this is a gift and it needs to be directed. Mm. And if you do not do that, they will self-initiate. And this is what Rollheiser talks about, like self-initiate. We talk about initiation and people are like, oh my gosh, is that just toxic? Is that just like a bro culture? Is this like a junior fraternity that's like getting ready for sons to be predators in college, blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, you know what's worse? It's actually very, very healthy. I would even say it's essential for a young man to have a group of older men help him channel those confusing energies into a redemptive way. Mm. And the most toxic thing is to say to a young man, figure it out yourself. Mm-hmm. And they will just go off and they'll be promiscuous as they can. They'll, they will have misogynistic elements, which are glorified in porn culture. They like, there'll be so many negative things that happen. So initiation is one of those processes that says, we recognize this. This is natural. You matter. There's a path to make sense of it. And you're welcomed into it. And we want you and we want to take you and help you through this. It's a sense of belonging. It helps shapes a stable sense of uh, identity. It creates a liminal space where you realize like in, in all societies, there was some marking moment that was a death of childhood moment. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, and so like, that's when they were literally like, Hey, you know, the joy rides over it's starting to begin to accept responsibility for your life. And you need that uh, to, to happen in your life psychologically. So yeah, that's the point of initiation. And uh, you you want it to be sober but filled with joy. You want it to be meaningful, not forget, you know, not forgettable. Um, and you you want to sense this is not this is an invitation to a journey. And so again, a lot of the books I'd read, there was a couple of books out there that like were very very good efforts, um, you know, very 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 helpful efforts to do what I'm trying to do in the intentional father. But my complaint is this: they were all too short. Mm-hmm. That, that's like, so there's, there's like how to do a man year. And I was like, Hey, I don't know how to tell you this. It's going to take more than a year. Mm-hmm. That's a great foundation. That is not enough. What are you going to do the next five years? Outsource it to what? Mm-hmm. Like you need a more conscious, intentional, long-term program. A lot of people get the initiation moment, right? Let's do a camping trip. Let's get a group of men. Let's do five challenges. It's like, great. Now he's in, what does he do with it? With the rest of it? Mm. You know, it's like, it's so to me, Initiation is very important, but it's the beginning, not the ending. And so I say, like, you know, save some energy. Initiation is like mile one of a 26-mile marathon. It's not mile 25. Hmm. So to me, it's like that's, what, that's the, I think, the biggest contribution I'm making in the parenthood space is the multi-year holistic vision of what I present. Hmm. There's a lot of good stuff on how to do parts of it or one-off bits of it, but if you're able to sit down, and just go, what do I do? And then lay it all out and go, oh, okay, here's what I'm going to do. Hopefully that is a gift to an overwhelmed dad. 
and the initiation process is the beginning of it. In terms of closing it out as well, I wanted that, like if you were to ask my son, how do you know you're a man? He's going to give you an answer, something like this. Well, I was initiated at 13. I went on a multi-year journey where I was taught character, competence, skill. Uh, my dad poured into me. I was invested by a community of men. I went on a one-year gap year to test what I'd learned. And then I walked out into the ocean and was blessed by my father in the community of men and welcomed into the community. So that's mm-hmm. how I know I'm a man. Like he's like he's got he's got these definitive moments. And one of the one of the things that's so important about these moments, I was reading um uh Abraham Joshua uh, Heschel last night, and um, he, he's I was just reading like a, a series of essays that he wrote. And one of the things he said is like, God is a God of moments. He's not just a God of geography. He's mm. not just a God of uh, theology. He's a God of moments. And redemptive history is a series of moments where God was present. And he said, part of our responsibility is to cultivate and shape holy moments that touch a life. And I think that's what these initiation things do. We have natural ones, middle school to high school, high school to college. But what we're saying is you've finished your education. When do we have one that we say you've finished your childhood? Mm-hmm. You are now welcome into the community of men. Those sort of moments are profoundly healing. And I think they could save a lot of heartache where men in their college years go off trying to earn their manhood rather than live out the manhood they already have. You know. Now, I know that you know, just from reading the book, I know that you had this experience with, with Mormons. So I'm going to come back to that in just a moment. Yes. But I want to, I want to use this as an on-ramp into that. I have a, I have uh, some of my, you know, history is serving with students and student ministry. I know you had the same, uh, you know, not the same, but you had similar experiences. You led a student ministry for years and And I think even well-intentioned dads are going to read a book like Raising a Modern Day Night, which is a fan, which is a great book, but it kind of culminates on this one event, like a camping trip, this conversation, hey, we're initiating you on this night, people speak in, you have, hand them a sword or whatever. And then it's just, it's almost like what happens in the world today is you go through this, even with, with a well-intended dad, to where you go through this and it's that process, and then we just pass it off to the kids ministry or we pass it off to the student ministry and my personal opinion is that's not enough that is not enough it it takes a lot more to to rightfully disciple young men and young women more than just putting them in a student ministry i'm a supporter of student ministry just as i know you are but it's just simply not enough and i've seen that it's not enough what was your experience in student ministry and what and how did that experience with the mormons shape the work that you created well i'm number one i want to say like you know i I want to get a little bit of pressure off a dad Mm -hmm. i want to say that like there's a blessing and attention you can give your son that no one else will ever be able to give him but also he's going to need more than just your blessing and attention to be healthy which means Mm -hmm. he needs an ecosystem of formation Mm -hmm. he probably needs some sort of high campus ministry on campus he's going to need a reaffirming mentor which is someone younger than you who helps disciple or speak into him that reinforces the message that he's receiving. Mm-hmm. He's going to need a church community, multi-generational. He's going to need students and peers so he can see that, you know, like, you know, student ministry is basically built on three things, purpose, identity, and belonging. Mm-hmm. And if you can help them see their purposes for the kingdom of God, if you can give them a sense of who they are in the kingdom, and if you can give them a sense that you're one of us, you're doing pretty well. So mm-hmm. I want that whole ecosystem. So I'm at, you know, 
I, but what I don't want to do is outsource it. So to me, an ecosystem of those things is the healthiest. So, you know, like our church, um, all of the dads in our church, um, you know, got a, got a copy of the intentional father. I did a webinar for our church. We've got groups of men working on normalizing this, working this, actually starting at age seven, like going it back. Like what do we need to do between seven and 13 to the prepare? And so we're doing a ton of work all the way through. So, yeah, it's an ecosystem and I bless that and it's all vital. The second thing I would say though, and this is what I got from the Mormons, was to raise the standard of what we're talking about. Mm. So my experience with the Mormons is like the Mormons give young men a priesthood, like they lay hands on them, they're given a sense of spiritual authority. Mormon kids meet for an hour before high school every day for a thing they call seminary. You know, they're working on, um, you know, the Old Testament, New Testament, Doctrine and Covenants, Pearl of Great Price, Book of Mormon. Then they do a training over the summer. Then they go on a two-year service mission. Like that, that is a formation, normalized formation pathway. I used to get kids up at four o'clock in the morning to go and pray over their schools. And people were like, that's insane. But I guarantee if they were getting up at four o'clock to do football training or swimming training or cheerleading training, their parents would voluntarily get up and drive them there. Yeah. So we will we will stretch for other areas that American culture says are necessary for teenagers, but when it comes to applying it for our faith, we simply say that's extreme. And so I just want to reverse that. I applaud the parents' desire to help their kids participate things in deep dives that are very meaningful. I just want them to apply it to their faith as well. So the Mormons like gave me a standard. And so, so here's, here's what I'll say. Bill, seventy percent of kids walk away from their faith in college. So whenever people say I'm doing too much, I'm saying, no, well, here's the fruit of our system. The fruit, if we had anything that had a 70% failure rate, do you think we'd change it or investigate it or examine it? Mm. If your business had a 70% failure rate, if your church had a 70% failure rate, you would radically say like, we've got to reverse that. And so we do that in every other area of our lives. If your health had a 70% failure rate, would you go to a doctor with a 70% failure rate? Would you go to a mechanic with a 70% failure rate? No, you wouldn't. What if 70% of the homes, uh, 70% of the rooms in your home were not cleaned by a cleaner that you were paying? The list goes on. Mm-hmm. Why is it when it comes to discipling our own children, we don't have some sort of radical intervention? And I guess I want to say that with like, uh, like a, a, a a strong exhortation, but without any condemnation. I want to, I want to inspire. I want to exhort. I want to encourage that we've got to do more because let me tell you, I mean, nothing will break your heart more than a kid who does not love Jesus and who rebels. There's, I I don't know if there's like much more pain on planet earth than a kid who walks away from their faith. And so we like my book's not a, guarantee it's not this equals that it's not you know training up a child and they won't just like look you can't take verses like that out of context but it is this be intentional Mm -hmm. do do what you can move towards them with like deep prayer fasting love intentionality and then you have to entrust them into god's hands so you can't control the outcome but you can control your intentionality and i believe that when you are intentional, divine help comes alongside you and those covenant promises are activated in a strange way. Wow, that's powerful. Well, John, this has been a great conversation. And man, I'm just, I'm really inspired. What you just said is just going to kind of reverberate through me. 
And I mean that that's just uh, that's that's a really inspiring way of looking at all this and and knowing that the book is an incredible tool and it's a help. But yet you're also you're you are a soul shaping another soul or other souls, you know, uh, dads helping their sons. And while there's no fail safe, anything other than eternity, you know, when we're connected with God, we've committed our lives to him, we've repented of our sins, ask for forgiveness, you know, and, and claim him as Lord um, and give him the, the, the thing that is due his name. But yet I think it, at this, what it does too, is it helps a dad to, to, to walk through life with less regret also. So not only is it is it helpful for the son, it's also refreshing for the dad to say, you know what, yeah. I'm not perfect, but I was doing it. I was I was engaged, yes. and and I trusted him to God, and I did the right thing at the time that I believed, and I think that that is the pathway to less regret for a dad, and also yeah. it's the pathway to to wholeness and holiness for sons. Yes. So, John, I want to say thank you so much for coming on the show today. Uh, Just conversation has been fantastic. Your book was fantastic. Is there anything else that you would like to impart to the dads out there or soon to be dads or maybe even some defeated dads? Just anything you'd like to say to them before we wrap? I think I would say this. Hey, I mean, it's it's never too late to move towards restoration. You know, if and I say it all the time, like if you blow it, like oh man, I started really well, but we got busy and distracted. Do not beat yourself up. It's the old classic thing. If you're driving along and you get a flat tire, you don't pull out a gun and shoot the other three tires out of frustration. You fix the flat, you get back on the journey. Hmm. You know, even and so I just say, just like just pick it up where you left off. Just keep moving towards them in love. And if you feel like they're not receiving it, give to them in prayer what they will not receive in person. You know what I mean? Pray for them, contend for their destiny. The other thing I would say is like, do not worry if they're not giving you like, oh, thank you so much for pouring into my life. You may like feel that frustration of like you've had a long day at work, you come home, you meant to spend time with them and they'd rather just play video games. They're teenagers. That's what they do. But do not take their lack of interest now for a lack of soul interest because every kid in the, the depth of their heart aches for this. And you will we'll all know people later on who will be able to testify I'm so grateful my parents were hard on me rather than not caring what I did. So I would just say, engage where you can, pray, pray like crazy. Um, it's never too late to move towards a restoration in love and just do what you can. If it's a busy season, be kind to yourself, do what you can, but just be consistent. Small things done consistently are better than the occasional big thing done in a season of motivation. So just be faithful. All things in the kingdom of God are given to us in seed form. And so take those seeds, pray, water it, and see what God does. 